Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. And what a blessing it is uh, to, to serve the living God. Ecclesiastes tonight, an, a book that does not get a lot of preaching attention, uh, but has recently been in our Bible reading plan. If you would join me tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Traditionally, we know this, uh, this book written by one of the wisest men who ever lived, King Solomon. A lot of uh, Ecclesiastes is a very interesting reading. Uh, it's full of sarcasm and, uh, and bitterness. And uh, it, it almost sounds like uh, the cranky old man uh, yelling at the sky in some places. Uh, and so we have to understand Ecclesiastes in context. And, but thankfully tonight, this, uh, this scripture we're going to read is one that is not as sarcastic as some of the other portions of this book. But this is something that's very interesting here in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. When King Solomon turns his attention to the house of the Lord. And uh, we're going to read some instructional tutorial of how to act when in the presence of God. And I hope it will be a blessing to you. You know, the church of Jesus Christ is 2,000 plus years old. And over the millennia of the life of the church of Jesus Christ, there have been many different attitudes and styles that have run through the church. And I want to give you some of the reasons why things have changed over the years. You know, after Jesus was risen from the dead, they entered into what's known as apostolic times. These are the times of the apostles, the early church, the book of Acts. During that time, uh, the church was under heavy and intense persecution. To become a follower of Jesus meant to put a target on your back. And the powers of the earth at that time, the Roman Empire, uh, they basically outlawed the worship of Jesus. And so, you, uh, to become a Christian meant to become an enemy of the state. And so, in that time frame, for those two or three hundred years... Uh, that the church was in existence, the apostolic times, uh, basically to worship Jesus, to go to church, simply meant to go over to somebody's house. Most of the churches of that time were called house churches. Small gatherings here and there, under the radar, much like maybe the church might be today in China. You wonder why there's revival. There's more Christians today in China than there are in America. But they don't get a lot of headlines, because, uh, because they're underground churches. They're, they're meeting in, in houses. Um, we, have a, we have a fellowship church uh, that is in the, the nation of Dubai. Uh, you might know that Dubai is actually a Muslim nation, and they don't like Christians there. They especially don't like Christian churches and Christian pastors. 
We have a fellowship church there in that bustling city. The pastor is from the nation of the Philippines. And, uh, and so what's interesting is when they have church, they basically have 40 people uh, come over to the pastor's house and they have a church service right in his apartment. And uh, what's funny is that they, they always make sure that they have a birthday cake there. And they have a birthday celebrations on the wall. And, uh, and so the thought is that if the police hear about this and come, uh, come in the door, everyone starts singing, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Uh, because it's illegal to have a Christian church there. And so this is very reminiscent of the apostolic times. The churches were all met in homes of believers. And so uh, very few people at that time would think about you know, the, the, the place where we go to worship. Uh, we want to have some kind of facility. Uh, we want to have carpet. Uh, do we want... Uh, no, that, none of that was important. Basically, the thought was, what do we have to do to stay alive and worship our Lord? Well, over time, things began to change. You study the history of the church. It's very interesting how Christianity begins to grow and spread. Uh, it was first uh, the emperor of Rome named Constantine who integrated Christianity into the Roman Empire. There was a lot of good things that came out of that. There was also some bad things that came out of that, but uh, Christianity began to grow and spread now that it was not illegal to worship Jesus. Uh, Christianity began to, uh, uh, to spread across nations and borders all around the known world at that time. And if you fast forward about a thousand years... Um, you have Christianity as the main religion of all of Europe. And it has even spread uh, through the Roman Catholicism, at which there was a branch that came off the Orthodox Church, Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, there was a city that used to be called Constantinople, and now it's called Istanbul. And there's a famous song about that that I try not to sing to you. But, uh, but that's, that split between Eastern and Western Christianity, and, uh, and so uh, after a thousand years, this was, if, if you're not Christian, then uh, you were one of the weird people. Christianity was everywhere. It was the state religion of most nations. And so when Christianity gained this kind of prominence, especially in Europe, they began to think differently about the meeting place, about where people would worship. All of a sudden, when you have uh, the church integrated in with the kingdoms or the governments of those states, now the church is uh, flooded with resources and money and funds to build some fanciful uh, buildings and some incredible uh, things. And I want to show you a few pictures of some, some of the most beautiful church buildings that were built over time. And so uh, the first one I want to show you is from here in the United States, the St. Pat Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. This, uh, this beautiful building uh, was started building in 1858, and uh, the building had to be stopped during the Civil War in the 1860s, and finally was completed in 1878. That's fully almost 150 years ago. An incredible structure, and if you uh, go to the next picture, you'll see the inside. And so this is uh, very much different than the house churches of apostolic times. And uh, as they began to build these large church buildings, let's go to the next one. This one is called Santa Maria 
Del Fiore. This is in Florence, Italy. This uh, construction began in the year 1296, one of the first that was built in the Gothic style. They finished it after 140 years. You talk about a building project. Pastor Campbell says it always takes longer and costs more than you thought. 140 years later, we can see the interior of this one. And what you'll notice about these is that the people who built these churches, they were trying to cause, they were trying to inspire something in people as they entered into these buildings to worship. And you can just get a little feel of that. You know, picture on the screen is one thing, but to walk into a place like this with these high vaulted ceilings, we're talking about hundreds of feet up, and your, your eye is drawn to the height of the building, and then once your eyes get to the top, you begin to see these frescoes and paintings and, and, uh, and stained glass, the sun shining in, and uh, everywhere you look is something incredibly beautiful. And it was designed to, make, to, to put some kind of inspiration and awe inside of every person who entered these places. Another example of this is most famous in Paris, France. And this is uh, uh, another Roman Catholic church called Notre Dame. And this is built in the French Gothic architecture. It's one of the most famous. It has uh, three pipe organs. And uh, they started building this in 1163, was completed 125 years later in 1260. Just recently, a couple years ago, they had a huge fire in the roof of this building. And so it was amazing that the whole world began to respond when there was a a fire that broke out and they raised $5 billion for reconstruction. And so right now it's under construction. You can't uh, enter this building. But before the fire, this is what it looked like inside of the building. And again, you have this uh, Gothic style. You have tall ceilings, vaulted archways. And here uh, in Notre Dame, there's actually uh, just very little lighting. It's very dark in there. It, it, and if you would enter in, they actually had, um, uh, they had restrictions against loud noises. And so everything is very hushed tones, whispers. And if you've ever been to a place like that, uh, it does put some kind of sense in you. You step in and there's just this awe-inspiring feeling that you get. And I'll show one more to you. This is probably the most beautiful church building that, that I've ever seen. And this one is in uh, Barcelona. And this is called the Sagrada Familia, or the Holy Family Church, Barcelona. This was uh, a, a project that was started in 1882. Uh, the original architect... Uh, passed the work on to a guy who is ironically named Gaudi. <laughs> and uh, he took over as the chief architect, and he spent the rest of his life to this project. He died in 1926. That's close to 100 years ago. The project at that time that he passed away was less than a quarter percent done. That's 25% of the construction. Uh, in recent years, they, they wanted to complete the construction by his 100th anniversary of the architect's death, 2026. Uh, Unfortunately, that was put on hold due to COVID insanity. But uh, they are expecting to finish this incredible building uh, within a few years. Let's show the interior of that one as well. And so just unfathomable expense 
money and resources, time and construction into this building. And, and for what? It's the same idea that when you walk into a place or just walking up or just passing by and you're like, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. And suppose, what it's supposed to do is put in you a sense of awe and inspiration and wow. And so that was the, that was the, the um, intention. But you know the problem with these amazing buildings? They're empty. They have essentially become museums. The amount of true worship and true inspiration. I mean, it's one thing to walk into a building and say, wow, look at the magnificent architecture. And it's quite another thing to say, Lord, forgive me for my sins because I want to go to heaven. That's a very different thing, isn't it? And so um, the church has responded to that. So again, all, all, most of these buildings were, were built in the mid uh, mid you know, 15, 1600, something like that. And then, you know, we had, a, we had a Reformation kind of a thing that happened uh, in Europe, Martin Luther and the Reformers. And so they saw all of these stained glass, these Gothic buildings, and, uh, and Martin Luther had a very powerful experience with, with God, and he was afraid of God. And, uh, and so when the Reformation happened, there was a, something that changed and shifted in churches that were Reformed. All of a sudden, the focus was not necessarily on architecture, but rather it was on the relationship between an individual believer and God. That, together with the invention of the printing press, revolutionized the way that people connected with God. And it was a great thing that people all of a sudden could pray on their own. They don't need a priest present. We can pray directly to God. And so this also was reflected in the way that people worshipped in their church buildings. All of a sudden, uh, by the way, these, all of these fancy buildings, they were not so worried about seating. Like the pews and stuff, like what we have here today with chairs all pointed toward, the, they, they didn't really worry about all that. They had, in fact, little boxes. People were not focused up on a, a platform or a, a, a preacher. Uh, it was more about the, the gathering the people together for prayer meetings and sacraments and various other things. But in the Reformation, there was a change that happened in church buildings. All of a sudden, the focus became the Word of God and the preaching. The preaching became the center. And with the goal and with the focus of bringing people to a point of decision at the altar, it was a place where buildings like this began to fall out of favor with many true believers. As the worship became simpler in style, but you know that also led to some error. I want to show you a few more pictures. Poor Amanda. We have come to a time today in our world where it is not these large cathedrals of marble and stained glass. Today, churches look more like this. What does that look like to you? A roller skating rink or a shopping mall. Uh, this one is called Life Church in Oklahoma. And, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to attack. I don't want to downgrade what God is doing because truly there's people being touched and saved and changed in places like this. If we look at the in, inside of this church, it looks pretty fun, man. It looks like a concert. There's big screens. There's lights. The, the, the overhead lights are all turned off. People got comfy chairs. There's another church I want to show you. This one is down in Georgia. Uh, this is the, uh, 
This is the uh, Andy Stanley's church. I forget the name of it. Uh, but let's look inside of that one. Wow, pretty nice. Okay, so it, it's not the same vaulted ceilings. You know, it's not the same marble and stained glass. But what, what are we seeing here? We're seeing a very well-produced and a well-oiled machine. Very nice graphic screens. Got a nice uh, picture. Got a, got a nice pastor there with a big forehead. And man, he is, uh, he is if you've ever listened to him preach, man, his, uh, you, you can tell that he's got a team of like 25 people helping to write every message. And, uh, and it just comes off so well. And, uh, and, and so we got one more that I'll show you. And this is maybe the, the famous one in Houston, Texas, Lakewood Church. Yeah, praise the Lord, everyone. You know, this, this building uh, was once a basketball stadium in Houston, Texas. They purchased this place. Take a look at the inside. Yeah, that's for real. I think they can seat like 19,000 people in there. Okay, and so with the emphasis of the previous generations of churches that they were designed to inspire a sense of awe and respect and fear. This is almost the polar opposite. Now, what many churches are trying to produce is just get your butt in here and we'll put a good show on for you. And so there is a, there is a good intention there. Like we want to welcome people. We want to we give some, uh, some good coffee. We want to you know, make you comfortable. We want to make worshiping God convenient. But you know, this also has some weaknesses, doesn't it? Pretty soon, if the church looks like a mall or a sports arena, and you look around and everyone is dressed in a tank top and swimming trunks, and pretty soon that the same thing that the churches of the dark ages, that they were trying to inspire that sense of awe and respect and veneration, all of a sudden that is completely gone. And it's just a party. It's a no cost. Get lost in the crowd. No real discipleship happening and many false conversions. And what happens, what can begin to happen and what, has, what happened to me when I went to a church like this is you have one-hour worship sessions and 15-minute sermonettes that make sure we don't talk about sin or any such unsightly things. We want to make sure that everyone walks out feeling good so they'll come back next week and pay their tithe because we can't afford a building like this unless people are giving. And so, as always, what we need to have in the house of the Lord is we need to have a balance. And we, we can fall off the horse one way, like those medieval churches, where it becomes so awe-inspiring that people are afraid to enter. Or we can fall off the horse the other way and make it so comfortable and so convenient and so welcoming that, that there, it's full of false converts. And sin spreads like a cancer through a congregation. What we're going to see in our scripture is God's instruction manual for how to go to church and how we should enter the house of the Lord because truly that the church building should have very little to do with our faith. It's not nothing. There is a factor involved. A building can either work to our advantage or work against our, uh, uh, what we're trying to do. But the point of worshiping the Lord, it's not just about the building and the construction and the materials. What it's really about is our heart tonight. And so that's why I want to preach this message from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read this in two versions. 
uh, New King James and then the New Living Translation, one verse, where it says, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Let me read this now in New Living Translation, a very interesting um, translation of this verse where it says, As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. And so that's where the title of this message came from, Ears Open and Mouth Shut. Let's pray. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus asking your presence once again. Lord, let us, uh, let us have the respect that is necessary when we come into your house, God, so that we can hear from you. And Lord, let our hearts be open to hear what you have to say. Lord, give me clarity and wisdom to speak tonight, not from my own understanding or intellect, but God, from your word, that your spirit would move in the hearts of your people. We give you glory in Jesus' name. God's people would say, amen. Ears open, mouth shut. And I want to talk first with you about the idea of prudence. In our scripture, in the New King James Version, there is a word that is used that's very important and one that it's not very common in our world today, and it is the word prudently. Walk prudently. And uh, the idea of prudence is not something very common that we think about these days. So what is prudence? What does that mean when the Bible says walk prudently? So uh, if you want to understand English really well, you have to know that there is a version of the American English Dictionary called the 1828 Webster's. It was written by Daniel Webster. He's one of the founders of our nation. He wrote this dictionary. He's a pretty smart guy. And so from the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, he defines what prudence is. He first of all says, gives it a simple definition and then a more detailed one. The simple definition goes like this. Wisdom applied to practice. It's pretty powerful. It's basically not just wisdom that is put on the shelf and kept for another day, but he says prudence looks like wisdom put into practice. Listen to how he explains it. Prudence implies caution in deliberating and consulting on the most suitable means to accomplish valuable purposes. And the exercise of sagacity, good word, in discerning and selecting them. Prudence differs from wisdom in this. Prudence implies more caution and reserve than wisdom, or is exercised more in foreseeing and avoiding evil than in devising and executing that which is good. The idea of prudence is making a plan to be careful about some things. It's the idea of uh, if you're going to make a trip and you're going to invest some money into doing some travel, perhaps getting ready for conference in Chandler, Arizona. And you're planning for that, and you're going to have to make some prudent, prudent decisions as you make those. So there's going to be some things you can't spend money on because we want to set that aside for a conference, for either a plane ticket or gas to drive or whatever it might be. But prudence means I'm not just going to wake up one morning and drive to Chandler. It means we've got to make some plans, right? We have to uh, get the time off of work. We have to uh, figure out what, what we're doing. And, <laughs> it's so funny. Every time we take a trip, it was like the day before, we're like, oh, we have two dogs. What are we going to do with them? I don't know. Prudence would, would be like, uh, you know, two weeks or a month ahead of time, calling around, 
a dog sitter? Is there someone that can watch? You know, and prudence says that we're going we're gonna to make good decisions uh, that lead up to this. So when the scripture says walk prudently, when you go to the house of God, it means don't just show up. You know, we're glad that you come to church, that you've made a decision to be here tonight. But have you come prudently? Have you come to walk carefully in the presence of God? If you read this scripture in the original King James Version, it would say something like this. Keep your foot as you enter God's presence. And that's actually closer to the original language, keep your foot. And uh, the, the original uh, Hebrew language here, it means uh, the same way when God said to Moses, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. It means you, you thought you were just walking through the desert, but you have come into the presence of the Most High God. That's why it's important that you understand how to act. Keep your foot. Walk prudently. Be careful how you step. Because how many know the presence of God is something to be treasured, something to be honored? In a church world where you know uh, so many church services just become a big party or a worship set or you know smoke and lights and uh, and a nice a big television screen and a, and a, a pastor who's pleasing to the eye. You don't get a whole lot of that here, but. In a lot of those places, man, it's very surface level, and people walk in however they want. And it's very easy to, uh, to lose that idea of prudence and honor and respect. The word literally means to guard, to tend, to keep or protect. It's the same word that God spoke to Adam in the garden when he said, here, I've given you this garden, now keep it, tend it, watch over it. Take care of it. And this is the idea of prudence. When we step into God's presence, it is something that we need to be intentional about, that we need to put some thought into. And uh, this is where we, as our fellowship, you know, we believe uh, we have in, built into what we do. We have three services a week. We have a Sunday morning, we have a Sunday night, and we have a Wednesday night. Three services a week. And so what that means is that we're in church a lot. Like we spend uh, three hours in church on Sunday and another hour and a half on Wednesday plus other events and revivals and things that we do. And if we're not careful, it can just become mechanical. It can just become thoughtless banter. It can just become checking the box, making sure pastor's happy because I'm sitting in my seat. And it's a mistake if we make it that. If we don't walk prudently. I always stop when I read this scripture in Genesis chapter 28 about, about Jacob, one of the fathers of our faith. And he is, he is as you know, he, uh, he lays down to, uh, to take a nap out there in the wilderness. He uses a rock for his pillow. I don't know how comfortable that was. But as he was there, he had a vision of God. He saw the ladder, the connection between heaven and earth. And on that ladder, was angels ascending and descending. And he woke up from this amazing vision that he had. And this is what he said. Genesis 28, verse 16. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! 
This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. But you look around and it's just a desert place. There's a rock there. There's a bush there. There's a mountain over in the distance. But as he was there, he had a meeting with God. And he said, how awesome, how wonderful, how amazing is this place. And he named that place Bethel. Bethel. You know what that means? The house of the Lord. And there's a city there still to this day. To this day. Bethel. And he, you know what? But it started with just him sleeping on a rock out in the desert. And so, you know, we have the same idea. We come to a, to a church service like this and we look around and there's, you know, there's ceiling tiles and there's, uh, there's paint on the walls and there's carpet on the floor and, and there's fluorescent light bulbs and there's a, a wooden pulpit and there's, uh, you know, blue chairs. And, and we think, yeah, what, what's so special about this place? There's nothing special about the materials. What is special is that this is an opportunity to meet with a living God. How awesome is this place? Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Again, in the New Living Translation, they kind of put a, a spin on it that is uh, maybe not as faithful to the original text, but gives us the heart of the meaning of what's happening here. And it's translated this way again. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. And I think this is a pretty good description of what prudence looks like. It's a certain sense of humility. We don't come in here with an agenda saying, you know, uh, how, how can I, how can I uh, you know, uh, make other people listen to me? Or how can I employ? Or, you know, th- this is why we don't want to have multi-level marketing schemes running through our church, right? This is not a place just to make a buck. We come to the house of God not just to get something out of this place, but because we want to meet with God. And if we truly want to meet with God, that's going to change the way we worship. It's not about only our outward appearances. It's not about a building or a meeting place. 
What King Solomon is reminding us here tonight is this is about the attitude of your heart. How did you walk through these doors tonight? Did you walk in here too sleepy to keep your eyes open? Did you walk in here bored out of your mind and can't wait to get out of here? Did you walk in here only thinking about dinner afterwards? Did you walk in here just thinking, uh, I have to check a box and make somebody happy that I showed up? Have you come with ears open? You know, this becomes more and more of a challenge as time passes. Because as we grow and mature in the faith, as we get a little bit older down the road, right? We've got some time under our belts as Christians. And guess what? We've heard a few sermons in our day. You've heard me preach a few things over the years. And so what can happen is, uh, well, I've heard this before. I can turn that one off and think about something else. And our mind just comes right out of our brain. And what can happen very quickly and very easily is that are we truly listening for the Word of God when we come to the house of the Lord? Are our ears truly open? Not, Not to me, not to Pastor Adam. My prayer is not just that you would get something nice out of a sermon that I preach. My prayer is that you would be able to hear the voice of God through the preaching of His Word. Because my Word can't change anybody. But this Word can transform your life and your future. And if you would hear His Word through the preaching of God's, uh, of, of a sermon, listen, that has the potential to change your future. Have you come with ears open? Or are you like a spiritual brick wall? That the Lord is, you know, He's got some arrows of truth that He wants to shoot into your life. But if if we become hard-hearted, and if we become closed-minded, and we're just here to, to, uh, you know, to to fulfill our obligation, we're not here truly to, to hear from the Lord. And we lose that sense of prudence and humility. Can you still be taught something? Are you still teachable? You know, isn't that some, one of the most frustrating things about having, uh, having children is that, uh, that it, sometimes they can lose that teachable spirit. You're trying to help them. You're trying to speak to them. You're trying to give them wisdom and advice of things that you've lived through, and, uh, but they won't listen to you. I've got a better idea. And we yell at our kids for that, but then we come to church and we have the same thing when it's time to hear some preaching. I wonder where they get it from. Do we truly come with ears open, ready to hear from the Lord? You know, sometimes it, it has to do with, with uh, the attitude that we carry into the church. You know, that's why I tell people that church on Sunday morning starts on Saturday night. It starts with your schedule leading up to the service. That you can't just be out acting the fool all night or staying up late and binge-watching some horrible thing on Netflix and then try to show up on church with a good attitude to worship on Sunday morning. I'm not talking about going out and partying. I'm talking about giving your mind to things that don't honor the Lord and will push the Holy Spirit out of you. And then you want to try to, to show up in church and worship Him and, and it, it, you're wondering, how come I can't hear God anymore? It got quiet all of a sudden. What happened, Mr. Stephen? Ears open. But he didn't stop there. A prudent spirit is also marked by a closed mouth. <laughs> and what I mean, what I, what I think they're trying to 
to translate, what I think they're trying to get across to us when they translate the verse in this way, is that when you hear God's Word, if your ears are open, you don't have something to clap back about. In other words, when God speaks, I'm not talking about me again, I'm talking about the attitude of your heart. If ears are open and the truth enters into your situation, are you talking back to God? He has something to say to you. Do you always have something to say back to Him? And the reason I say it like that is because I have watched people. I have observed their life over the years. And I have preached messages that I know would help them. And they have possibly even heard them in their ears. But I have watched people fold their hands and sit quietly and respectfully in church services. But in their mind, you know what's happening? Every word that God is trying to speak to them, they're arguing away. Nope, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. In their mind, they're saying, oh no, I've got a better idea. He can't possibly be right about that. In their mind, explaining away every Scripture, every inspiration of the Holy Spirit, secretly in their heart, whispering contradictions to the Word of God because of something that somebody else said, somebody from your history, from your past, or even a a false theology that you've built in your own mind. Can we return to the prudent and the humble heart which says, Lord, I want to come to You with open ears and nothing to say. That is the way to treat the house of the Lord with respect and with honor. With awe. We don't have to have a vaulted ceiling that goes 200 feet high. All you need is a heart that is open. Lord, I want to receive whatever it is you have to say to me tonight. Man, if we had a church full of people like that, that would be revival. We have to be careful that this isn't just a house of entertainment or a house of good teaching or a house of beautiful paint jobs and carpet. This has to be a house of prayer. And what does that mean? Prayer means communication with God. That you come to, to do more than just hear a sermon and sit through a service. You're here because you truly are hungry and thirsty for the Word. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Isn't it interesting that we live in a time of greater wealth and opulence than the world has ever seen? We live in a time where even people who are in welfare are richer than kings and queens of 100 years ago. And yet, we also live in a society today that is, uh, that is killing itself faster than any other in recent history. Addicted to painkillers and drugs and alcohol. We have more material wealth than most of the world, and yet we've never been more dissatisfied. Why? Because we're hungering and thirsting for the wrong things. Speaking of thirst, King Solomon has some more good advice for us when we come into the house of the Lord. If we continue reading here, hallelujah, I don't have it pulled up. Let me get there. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Where he says, Do not be rash 
with your mouth. Do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. So, what do we get out of that? I think what we can learn tonight is this. Don't make promises that you don't intend to keep. And I can hear the spirit of some people when I say that. That's the favorite, my favorite thing you ever said, Pastor. Don't make promises you don't intend to keep. Because then what, what, you, uh, what, you, what many people would say in response to that is, I'll never make another promise to the Lord. Because I don't want to promise something and not fulfill it. But that's not what Solomon is saying. He's saying, yes, it's good to make a promise, make a vow, make a commitment to the Lord. But don't do it if you're not going to fulfill it. If you're not serious. Don't come in the house of the Lord and play games with the living God. This, again, is translated in the New Living Translation a little bit differently where he says, when you make a promise to the Lord, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. You know, delay is such a, such a deceiver. As we've said before, when we say to God, not today. Later, Lord, but not today. I, I want to do your will, but just later. And when we delay, it's such a very polite way of saying no to God. It is still a no, though. And we have to remember that. When God speaks to us, we shouldn't put it off. We shouldn't wait 10 years from now to obey the Lord. I love, uh, I love Abraham when God speaks to him. Take your son, your only son Isaac, and take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him there. And the Bible says the very next verse, Abraham woke up early the next morning to go fulfill God's commandment. He didn't hammer haw. He didn't consider. He didn't weigh the options. He simply responded in obedience early the next morning. How often it is that we delay with God? Our scripture says, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It's better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. You know, we are usually big on commitments and then fail on the follow through. You know, I would much rather have men and women here who make a few simple and serious covenants with God and then keep them. Rather than having a, a big mouth full of promises and tears and weeping at the altar and have it mean nothing when you walk out the door. Aren't you glad you came to church on Sunday night? Praise God. So let's close with this. I want to... I want to give you some pointers, some what I believe are some best practices for what a good church service looks like. Can we do that tonight? And from the spirit of King Solomon and the Holy Spirit moving through him, I want to extend that a little bit. And if you give me a little bit of, of grace tonight, I want to share with you some of the things I've discovered uh, in 25 years of serving God and going to church, just like you.
I've made a, plenty of mistakes on my own. And uh, I want to just, just help you a little bit if I can. So, a do-it-yourself instructional video on YouTube. How to attend church. Are you ready for this? Number one, show up. Showing up is half the battle. <laughs> Have you noticed how faithful the enemy is to bug you at about 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings and about 5 p.m. on Sunday afternoons and about 5 p.m. on Wednesdays? Have you noticed how often it is that you get in a fight or an argument or in traffic and you find yourself uh, all of a sudden facing all kinds of uh, uh, danger and difficulty right when it's time to go to church? Isn't that interesting? Hmm, could, uh, could, could we ever figure out why that happens? Well, because the devil knows what happens when God's people go to church. He knows what happens when we come together with a spirit of unity and a spirit of worship and prudence and walking carefully before the Lord, ready to worship and ready to open our ears and close our mouths and listen for the Lord. That revival starts to break out, and he definitely didn't want that. So he would happily keep you at home on the couch or in your bed. At the Church of the St. Mantris, as they say. And, uh, well, Pastor, don't we have live stream? Yes, yes, we have live. We still have live stream. God bless all of you live streamers. We're glad that you are able to connect with us in some way. But we all know, don't we, that it's not the same. We, when we had to lock down for that, uh, that time in 2020 and those few weeks that we couldn't have church service, you know, uh, it, was, uh, it was appealing and it was fun for a little while. But you know, it wore out pretty quick, didn't it? Everybody got sick of Zoom because it's not the same. Church on the screen is not the same. As good as it can be, as good as it uh, for people who are you know, separated and out of town and sick, and can't, uh, it's a nice alternative. But having said all that, it's not the same. We need to have a commitment as often as we can to be in the presence of God. Sometimes we allow the smallest excuses to keep us out of His presence. And I know, Pastor, doesn't the presence of God go with us everywhere we go? Yes, Jesus said He'll be with us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never leave us. But again, Hebrews, it says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Assembling. There's a reason that Scripture's in there. Because it's important to assemble. Right? Just ask the Avengers. Number one is be there. Number two is prayer. There's a reason why Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. If you're showing up for service at 6.55 on Sunday night and sliding in right before the songs are, you're telling yourself, I'm on time. But you missed something. You missed the most important part. My house shall be called a house of prayer. We have a prayer room. I don't know if anybody, there's probably some of you who haven't seen it. It's a room right behind the kitchen there. You know where the, the coffee is served? If you continue around the corner, there's a, a mystical, magical place where unicorns fly. It's called the prayer room. And it is the reason why, if we have a successful church service, that's the reason. Because somebody has touched God. Somebody has spoken to the Lord. Somebody has cried out. Somebody has intervened. Somebody has interceded. Uh, if we want, like King Solomon taught us, if we want to have uh, open ears and a closed mouth, it starts with a prayer. That, Lord, clear my mind of distractions. 
and things that are going to pull my heart away. The prayer room is for prayer. I don't, I, that should be obvious, but you know, people do a lot of other things in the prayer room. People speak to their children. People look at their phones. People socialize. People sleep. But the prayer room is for prayer. You say, Pastor, well, I, I ran out of things to pray for. Oh, good. So come to me. I'll, I'll give you some more things to pray for you to, to, so that you can pray. Let's pray together for a few things. You know, the world is full. Uh, we, we, have, we have a directory of churches in our fellowship. You know, we have 3,000 churches in our prayer, in, in, our, uh, in our church fellowship directory. Uh, I could just give you that book and pray for all the pastors and their families and their churches around the world. That could probably fill up some of your time in the prayer room. You know, it's a good opportunity to, hum, to ask God to humble us and prepare us so that we can do what the Holy Spirit asked us to do and hear His voice in the church service. Let's talk about worship. You know, I, uh, I knew I was going to preach this tonight, and so during the worship, I was looking at you. And during the worship, um, is it possible that we sing songs without really connecting with the sense of giving God all of the glory and the honor that He deserves? Here's some scriptures to consider. Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of saints. Psalm 22, 22. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Psalm 68, 26. Bless God in the congregations. The Lord from the fountain of Israel. Psalm 89, 5. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. You know, Jesus said, if my followers don't cry out, then the rocks will begin to cry out in praise and worship. Why? Because He is deserving. The heavens declare the glory of God. What about you? I know. We only have a guitar and some drums and a few half-decent singers. Don't be offended. (laughs) But you know what? It's not about the music. It's about the heart. Best practices in a worship service, you know, you ought to stand if you can. If you're physically able, you should stand. And you should do more than stand. You should allow your body to also express your worship. And I, I don't mean by that have a, a, a you know, doing backflips across the altar. What I mean by that is lifted hands. You know, when I'm up here and I'm singing worship, what I do, if I can remember the lyrics... I will close my eyes while I'm playing. And you'll see me with eyes closed. And it's not because I don't want to look at you. The reason I do that is because I'm singing to my Savior. I want Him to hear the song that I'm singing. And I want to do more than just sing a song. I want to express the gratitude of my heart that I'm saved and my sins are forgiven. That's what worship is. I don't understand people who can just stand there stone-faced with arms crossed during a church worship service. I'm just observing, Pastor. Just taking it all in. Well, let it out, will you? Because He's deserving of praise. Let the words... Listen, man, we have some songs. We have some amazing... Listen, every song that we sing is so deep and profound. Only you deserve the praises of the earth. Words are not enough to sing of all your worth. 
And you know, they, those words just fall out of our face sometimes without any connection or meaning behind them. Put, put your heart into your song tonight. I'm often, I, I, I've thought before of what does God hear from the worship service? What does God hear? You know, we can hear anything that comes out of the speaker, but what truly is reaching the ears of God from a service, from any church service? God doesn't hear the guitar. God doesn't hear the drums. You know what God hears? He hears your heart when you truly worship Him. Worship is not about the noise that's coming off the stage. All of that is just help for the congregation. This is why uh, sometimes I get frustrated with our sound crew. And no, I'm not angry at you. But listen, when we are so loud and we are so overpowering from the stage, it drowns out the rest of the congregation. The, the, the true worship is not what's coming from the stage. The true worship is what's happening out here. And if all I can hear is my voice bouncing off of the back wall, and I don't hear the people of God worshiping, I'm concerned. We don't want this to be a performance. This music, this worship, the, what's coming out of the speakers is all supposed to enable you as the people of God to worship. That's what the true worship is. It's not the time to go to the bathroom. It's not the time to corral your children. It's not the time to check social media. Worship time is for worship. Pastor Mitchell used to say that the most important time of any church service is that moment when at the end of the last slow song, Pastor says, now let's give God praise. Because at that moment, it's not about the instruments, it's not about the singers, it's not about a performance. It's about us releasing to God what He so deserves. It's that time when we, you, don't just, uh, you don't just stand there quietly and listen to other people worshiping. When, past, when I say at the end of that slow song, now, church, let's give God praise. That should be the moment that your voice begins to cry out to God and worship Him for all of the wonderful things that He's done in your life. Give Him praise, speak in tongues, and worship the Lord in knowledge and in spirit. If Pastor Mitchell thought that was the most important part of the service, that's pretty important. You know why that's so important? Because from that moment, either it can lead the church into something powerful, or it can fall off the edge of the pulpit like a dead animal. And the rest of the service becomes very, very difficult. We have a time of corporate prayer. We announce important needs. We have our prayer list. We announce those things. And, you know, we're not just doing that because we want to fill some extra time in the church service. There's, there's needs in our lives. And for those people that want to share their needs, uh, that's why we have that little paper out there as you enter in. We, uh, if you feel comfortable to share your need, you know, this comes directly from the Word of God. If there is a need in your life, uh, let, let you... Uh, you know, go to the elders of the church and make it known so that we can pray for you. That's what we do during that time of the service. We announce those needs that have been made public so that we can pray for them. And when I say, you know, we're going to take a few moments right now and pray for these needs that are on the prayer list. That's not, again, that's not the time to think about what you're going to do after the service. That's not the time to be distracted or check your phone. That's not the time to, uh, to sit down and fall asleep. That's the time to pray. 
you've heard a few needs that we need to lift up before the Lord. We should pray. After that, we have a greeting where we shake hands and we say hello to each other. And that's also not the time to run to the bathroom. I know if you got to go, you make it quick, but that, that's, that's not why we have the greeting time. We truly want to welcome people. We want to welcome one another. We are a family, right? And if your family member came and knocked on your door and said, hey, how are you? You wouldn't slam the door in their face. Or you wouldn't just sit there and say, what's up? You would be happy to see them. We should be happy to see one another if we're brothers and sisters. We have announcements. Wow. Announcements. Many times I watch your brains shut off at that moment. We have a few announcements. <laughs> and often, yeah, they, they're repetitive. But, you know, I can remember when I first came to the church in Chandler, Arizona, as a snot-nosed 16-year-old, the announcements caught my attention. You know why? Because it was the first time in my life that I heard Christians talking about outreach. It was on a Wednesday night. And I don't remember, I think it might have been, who was the door director? Dave, Dave Schmidt, yeah, that's right. And he was a door director at the time, and he was giving an announcement, and he, uh, he said something about going to the streets and telling people about Jesus. And I was like, what? Christians actually do that? That caught my attention. And so there's a reason. You know, I looked across the Chandler Church, and I saw a lot of people like you falling asleep. But that caught my attention. Wow, they actually outreach. That's important. We ought to be plugged in, not counting ceiling tiles. We have, huh, I shouldn't have said that, everybody's counting ceiling tiles. <laughs> uh, we have announcements, we take an offering. Deuteronomy sixteen seventeen. every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given to you. How many of you have been blessed by the Lord? If you've been blessed, the reason why he blessed you is not just because you're the most awesomest person. The reason He blessed you is so that you can be a blessing. So that you can be a, a, a flow of the Holy Spirit. And then we hear the Word. During the message, I have found in my own heart it helps to put away devices. It helps to turn them off. All the way off. Now, you know, I, I use this to preach off of, right? But... I turn off my notifications because I don't want to be up here and be distracted. I want to be totally engaged. I want to be ears open, mouth shut. And even though I might be preaching a sermon, can I tell you something? In my heart, I'm still mouth shut. Because I'm listening for the Holy Spirit just like you are. It's not time for a nap. It's not time to be running around. Sometimes... I get distracted because there's so much stuff happening. This is why me, I prefer to sit toward the front of the church service. I prefer to be in the front one or two rows when I'm in the audience. And I'll tell you why. Because there's less opportunity for distractions in front of me. Now, you know, we, we have a, a smaller church here and we don't have that many people, but, you know, with every row between you and the preaching, there is more opportunity to see other things happening. I like being on the front row. I like being in the place where God is speaking to me. I don't like being in the back. And those times, 
that, you know, like I can remember uh, going down to the Florida church, Jacksonville, Florida, and, you know, arriving uh, off of the bus. You know, we, we had driven down, spent eight, eight hours on the road, and we got there late, and then, you know, we're all sweaty and nasty driving in the church bus, and we slip in the back, and we're all the way in the back, back row, man. And uh, I didn't get nothing out of that service because my heart wasn't prepared, and there was about 50 rows between me and the preaching. Not that I got nothing, but, you know, it wasn't the ideal experience. The whole time of preaching leads up to the most important part, which is the altar call. It is the focus of every church service. We sing, we pray, we give, we listen, and then it's the altar call. That means it's not bathroom break time. I keep saying that. But, you know, maybe you should take a bathroom break before things start. So you don't have to go to the bathroom, you know, something more important. The altar call is the time where God can speak to you. Not through preaching, but where you can bow your heart and your head to the Lord and hear from God. When we, when we uh, bow our heads and we close our eyes, uh, that is not the time to take a nap. Oh, thank God. <sighs> He said it. He said the magic words. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Gone. No. <laughs> the whole, you know it's true, don't you? But you know what we should be doing? If you're saved, if you're right with God, then you should be praying for other people who are not saved and who are not right with God or who are backslidden. Say, God, would you, would you speak? Would you save somebody in the service right now? That's, since that is such an important time of the service, you especially want to keep your children close to you and quiet. Not let them become a distraction for what God wants to do. The altar call. Everything leads up to that. It's the time where we can come, and like, uh, like King Solomon said, it's the time that we can make some commitments to the Lord. Not empty ones, but truly be open to the Lord. And then... When we pray together, then it's, you know, when the service is over, in Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot of people who run for the exits. Pew! But you know, after the service is also part of the service. And I think it's important that we spend a few minutes in fellowship. Pastor, we've already been here an hour, an hour and a half. Can't I just get home? I know there's people who are tired, who work. But you know, there is, there is power in fellowship. Those of you who were on our trip when we went to the church in Lima, wasn't it a beautiful thing that when the church service was over, nobody ran for the exits? That they were truly happy to spend time with one another and see and, and have relationship and get to know each other and build friendships? That is the glue of the church. It's not the preaching. It's not all the, all of the spiritual stuff. Listen, if, we, if we're going to continue to grow and thrive in the Holy Spirit, we have to work on our relationships with one another. And that happens after the service. A lot of the times when, when we would go to uh, our church services over there in Europe, especially in Holland and many uh, in Romania, some of those churches there, you know, they actually cook the coffee as soon as the closing prayer happens because people hang out for a long time. People don't have a lot of money to go to restaurants or coffee. So you know what? They, they, they pull out the ping pong tables. And they have a good time together. 
late into the night. I'm saying that because these are some of, some of the things that we can work on, church. That we don't have to become mechanical about the way we worship. That we can truly come. And we can truly be touched by God in every service. We can hear from Him. Don't you want this time to be spent well? Don't you want, when you come to church, don't you want something good to come out of it? Not just a good nap? I've kept you too long tonight, but I want to I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.